Hi, and welcome to episode four of How Did You Go Data Lake? So last week we talked a little bit about Docker, and this week we're talking about serverless, which is both a concept and the name of a specific framework. So as you heard at the beginning, we also have an awesome new theme song. This was composed just for us by Shun Kobayashi. You should check out his website. It's cagpie.net. He has a link to his SoundCloud account and also some awesome JavaScript projects he's worked on under the development section. Check out especially PicoTune, which is a chiptune, like it, it plays MIDI files in a chiptune style and has a piano roll visualization, and he wrote it from scratch in pure vanilla JavaScript. So that's pretty awesome, and thank you, Shun, for the awesome theme song. So let's get started. Hi, Sergio. Hi, good morning. <laughs> So we, we just talked for about half an hour about what we should talk about about serverless. And it's it's clearly a giant topic. And there are questions about, you know, what... I, I think it's probably... Let's just get started. Uh, Sergio, what is serverless? <laughs> um, okay, let's keep it simple. I think that okay. the own word is telling you what is serverless. It means like without servers, okay? Uh, this is a concept. It was defined... Uh, by Martin Fowler in his wiki. And this concept has so many implications. And one of the biggest ones is that uh, you don't have to manage anything. Mm. You have everything that is more a conglomerate of different services that they are uh, link each other. And you don't have to own nothing about the platform. Okay, that, that, that's mm. the concept. That's the big concept. Then there is some kind of feature, no, that for example, it automatically scales. Uh, but you have, for example, this kind of functions, they are stateless. Okay. And yeah, th- th- this is the kind of concept. Okay. And from this concept, it, it appeared from some months, one year, one year ago, mm-hmm. it appeared something that is called the serverless framework. Okay, and this serverless framework, they use the name serverless, okay, to have mm-hmm. all kind of marketing. And these guys, they started with the first prototype that they focused the technology that is from AWS, that is Lambda. This Lambda, what happened when it appeared, is it was the glue between the services. Mm-hmm. AWS, Amazon Web Services, they offer a lot of different services. And for send a request and process the request from one to another service, they create this Lambda that they present two years ago in the reInvent. Okay, with this Lambda, that is, uh, is, um, is a service that lets you to define a function. Okay, so you send an input, you process this function that can be in Node.js, in Python, in Java. Uh, you process the function and then you give back the result. Okay, so they create the Lambda. Well, the truth is that they already had Lambdas. They were using internally mm-hmm. Lambdas. Uh, they create this this uh, service and they create other service like the API Gateway. Okay, so these guys of the of the Joes before the serverless pr- framework was called Joes. Right. They said, oh, this Lambda and API Gateway that's a perfect fit for create uh, something that let us to create an API very fast, without any server. Mm. Okay, so they start with the version zero, and they use um, CloudFront, they they um, solve a kind of problems that they had with the uh, environment variables, and they prepare a nice tool. But in mm. the moment of the process, when they were learning, because everything that we are talking about is, is very, very new, okay, they are really on process, they 
discovered that they were not talking only about lambdas and API gateway. They had mm. to handle all of this. And all of this means not only Amazon, but it means the concept itself. That's why they changed the name. And right now, with the Lambda API Gateway, because if we talk about Amazon, okay, let's let's focus in Amazon. I, I know that they have implementation for other services, but sometimes there are limitations. You can create a plugin to adapt them, but let's talk about uh, Amazon. Okay, let, let, let me, before we get any further, I want to back, sure. back up to the basics. Because, so we've talked about, we've talked a little bit about what the idea of serverless is. And so mm-hmm. that's lowercase s serverless. We've talked, and that's uh, that's something that Martin Fowler has a really really long blog post about. We've talked a little bit about the capital S serverless framework, which is an open source framework developed by a company that has venture fund uh, venture capital funding that uh, started, and it was originally called Jaws. Now it's called Serverless with mm-hmm. capital S. Uh, yeah. We talked a little bit about uh, Amazon's. Uh, uh, so Amazon Web Services has a ton of services within it. So the most common services that you see are things like EC2, which uh, lets you run uh, virtual machines in the cloud. And then you have S3, which allows you to store uh, store objects and store data in the cloud. And then they have maybe 50 or 60 or 100 other services. But one of the most uh, important of those is Lambdas, which let you run a function. And that function is run, it's either it's written in, say, JavaScript, and it's run on Node.js, or it's written written in Python, or it's written in Java. And when, for example, if something happens, that function is called. So that something happens could be something like you saved something to the S3 storage bucket, and so a Lambda function was called. Or uh, with the API gateway service, uh, you made an API call to Amazon and then the API gateway service routed that call to a Lambda function. So <laughs> does that sound right? Yeah, perfectly. Okay, good. So back back to, so the, the other thing I wanted to talk about is, of course, there are servers. I mean, the code is getting run on servers, but what, what is different from the way code is run on servers via the serverless, uh, serverless architecture versus a traditional architecture? <laughs> we have said the word server 20 times. <laughs> I think I, 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 it's not I serverless don't... if you say server 20 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we can use the word stateless, no? Uh, Send me again the question. We, we, it's about... we, we, can, we can call it stateless. Uh, well, it's a property. The serverless has the property that this must be a st- a stateless. One of the problems, or when you are uh, developing for a kind of serverless that can be the serverless framework, is that you have to change your mind. You have to be very careful. When you are writing code, you don't have to write the code the same like you are writing in a um, container, for example, with the with the instance that is running Node.js. Because what happens is that uh, because the f- code of the function is being re-executed several times, if there is a variable that is outside the kind of uh, main function, okay, outside the scope, this function is not private like you thought. Mm. In in a normal instance, it's going to happen, okay? This, in Node.js, uh, is using a, uh, the common DS pattern. And if you have outside the main function, the exports, uh, you have a function, this function is going to be private. In serverless, in Lambda, it isn't. It is shared mm. by all the threads. So you have to be very careful how and when you load 
every uh, every component, okay, every file, every file. When you do a require, you have to be careful if they are inside uh, the function or they are outside, because this is gonna be the kind of state that is gonna maintain in the memory. And this is a concept that when you start writing code, you notice very fast, and hmm. sometimes you have unexpected problems. Okay, so oh, really, so so mul- multiple calls to lambdas could. Um... Uh, could should could share state across calls. Yes, yes, really? yes. You 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 don't you don't really know when this is gonna happen. That's uh, I I mean, uh, if you are sending several requests, maybe these requests they are all always the same server, okay, the same mm. instance that they have inside because they are using containers, okay. This everything is by containers, uh, so they are using like Docker to have the serverless. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, that's amazing. But um, you can send these requests and maybe all of them they are pre-cache or maybe all of them they go to different servers okay so you don't know when you are writing code you mm. don't have to expect that they have to do. Uh, so one one word one keyword that is very important for the serverless when you are writing serverless or let's say lambdas okay because to be clear when you are writing lambdas mm-hmm. is that it must be idempotent okay idempotent. that's very important yes you can be able to re-execute something and it has to do the same uh, um, output than before. Okay, you execute this twice, and this should give you the same output. This is not easy. Okay, and you have to be careful. But okay, okay. so so actually, let's so let's it's, let's explore those two words a little bit more. We have stateless and we have idempotent, and. <laughs> Well, this is a property, okay? Just okay. Don't make, don't be confused. It's, it's something that you must do to create kind of um, a stateless lambdas, okay? You have to be careful about that. The, the most important component, I think, and or or kind of feature, scale, I don't know how to say that, but is it, the, the function that you are writing must be serverless. And you have mm. to be very careful when you are writing the function because maybe you have problems or... Um, of of uh, several requests at the same time uh, for atomicity with the database. If you mm-hmm. are from different servers, a same request, you can have a race condition mm-hmm. in the server. There you are modifying uh, read and write the value. And maybe you are in the kind of period, you are sending two requests at the same time, and the result is unexpected. Okay, that, that's that's the thing, and that's what I mean with saying that is idempotent is that you have to write this in the way that you are sure that running this again or before after what you got is what you expect. Okay, so this is something that you mm. must be thinking about when you are writing the code because these kind of errors doesn't happen very often, and if you have few requests, you are not, you are not going to notice. But this can have uh, a lot of uh, security implications. Okay, because I could be ma- making two requests in concurrent and in parallel, and they could do something that you don't really want to happen. Okay, and because we are talking about Lambda. That uh-huh. is a service that can be requested several times and you don't have the control about this part, okay? Just be careful, okay? And you you mm. must develop some kind of uh, Redis, cache, memcache, something, something that will be able to tell you, hey, I am processing a request that is doing the same that the previous one. So be careful that this is going to happen. For example, Stripe. Oh, uh, so, so this is something to prevent race condition. So having like a Redis cache is to like, like prevent race conditions or. 
uh, we could say that this is one of the of the features okay not the only one but yes yes this is gonna prevent mm. for example for example stripe they develop something well it's it's amazing that is a idempotency, potency and you send a value that is unique and mm-hmm. if you send the same value in the la- in the next 24 hours okay they have a cache that is gonna tell you that oh we already processed this request and the mm-hmm. output is the same so they are gonna send you back the same output that they already processed. So if you want to charge a user twice, you won't charge the user twice. You will only charge mm. one. Okay. So the second time is only giving you back the response of the other. So the, this kind of interesting things I'm talking about, you have to be careful when you start writing code in Lambda. That doesn't happen when you are writing in your uh, Apache server or something in your machine. The, the, the paradigm is different. Okay, so when you start working, writing in serverless or even you are in a node, sorry, in a Docker uh, architecture, you have to be careful with the context has changed. Okay, that, that's it. So let's focus in your question and your. Right, right. No, uh, so, so, I mean, if, you, if you're writing uh, code to run on, run on a traditional server, you might expect that process to be long lived. So you have a long lived, like five or 10 minute. Uh, session with the user and all all the user's interactions are going to be routed to the same process and so your any request that the user makes to that process will probably be done in sequence whereas if you have lambdas that are just functions being run if you're uh that that could be run on the same server or could be run on different servers uh and could get run out of order you end up in a situation where you could have one request going to a Lambda running on one server, another request getting going to, or say say the same request going to a Lambda on a different server. And so then you have two Lambdas trying to access your database, for example, and potentially returning different results. And so mm-hmm. that you, so you're saying that uh, this uh, this you could either use a Redis cache or something like this Stripe uh, in Demp- what is it? Idempotency. Idempotency to uh, prevent, for example, two functions trying to run at the same time and do the exact same thing. Yes. Let me give another example, okay? Because I think this topic is very very interesting. Uh, Is this about serverless, okay? About Lambda and all the kind of plugins, triggers, connections, Uh, Lambda especially, okay? Uh, Is the same that when we change the way of writing code, when we were writing code for a kind of Apache, that they, it was multi-thread, and they, we were writing multi-thread programming. Mm. So we had a core, and this has different threads, and we said, okay, let's create a new thread to do this kind of job, okay, uh, in the background. So it's the same kind, that every connection, he has his own thread, so we have a max of threads for requests. And then this architecture... When we change to the monothread architecture, for example, mm-hmm. Node.js. Node.js has the, has a, like a loop that is the, well, it's a ticker that, um, when you send a request is the same process who is handling everything. Node.js has a space of memory that he's kind of virtualizing all the, the, the pool. Okay. That is the, all the input output that he receives. So because he doesn't use the function of the kernel, he mm-hmm. is able to archive faster speed so the same the same kind uh, different um how can i say uh the the same change of mind we had from this multi-thread um, architecture 
to the mono thread. We are having to the kind of serverless. Okay, so the, the, this difference is, is happening again. Okay, so you have to be aware of your context. It's the same that when you are writing code for a phone, you know that the battery, uh, is limited. Mm. So you, you cannot do a long polling because it's consuming a lot of, uh, network, input, output, battery. Okay. So you, the, these kind of things, you must understand the context and serverless and lambda especially has a context. Right now they are improving a lot. We have new, uh, new features. For example, we can use VPCs. We can use KMS. We can use environment variables, but you need to learn. There is, there is a process to learn. Okay. The question maybe is, okay, once you have learned this, is worth, is, is interesting to learn this kind of first stage to later use serverless and lambdas or is not worth and it's better to stay in some kind of container, uh, pass platform mm. like Heroku or something like that. No, it's in the, in the middle. Yeah. Uh, I'm, so actually, I think that the analogy we're making there is that, uh, is to, to multi-threaded programming, where if you have multiple threads running within one process and they're trying to access the same memory at the same time, you can run into all kinds of problems because you have, for example, two threads trying to access the same bit of memory at the same time. And now what we're talking about with lambdas is instead of having multiple threads within one process accessing shared, me- accessing shared memory space, we have multiple lambdas running on top. I mean, Instead of one process, our process is now all of AWS. And we have potentially, uh, instead of two threads running, we have two lambdas running at the same time. Um, I thought that was a really interesting analogy. Yeah, that, that's right. But if if we go deeper, you realize that you can do this because Amazon has so many servers, so he doesn't even care. What what he does is they buy a huge machine and they they split by cores by CPU time by CPU time. Mm-hmm. So because they already developed this kind of huge system that is able to give you a quote of so it's a time in this CPU. So you can, uh, for example, when you have a ST2 instance, a micro, you have just one slide of this machine. So it's mm-hmm. a time. Um, because they have these resources, they can do that. In the past, we used multi-threading because it was our own machine and was the most simple way to do that. There is something, a word that I really love that is commodity. And I think commodity. that serverless is a commodity. I think that it is something that you don't have to, as I said before, you don't have to care about the, no, the, the support. No, you don't need a junior who has to, uh, handle the servers, deployments. Well, that, that's, Free. Well, it's not free. You are paying a price because, <laughs> as I said, they, they can, they can have this, this amount of things. But that's amazing. One of the problems, and I think I know about this, uh, one of the problems about the multi-thread architecture is not that it's slower than a mono-thread architecture. The problem is that it's more complex. You need to care a lot, a lot of variables, logs, semaphores, uh, a lot of kind of things that in the, um, in the mono-thread architecture, you don't have to worry about. So now with the serverless, it's happening the same. You don't have to worry about. And this means that you can hire a junior guy for writing functions in serverless mm-hmm. that before with Java and with logs and with everything we had 20 years, 10 years ago, it was like not possible. You needed some very skilled guy who cared about all the, all the things in, in his head. And now, 
everything become easier, no? And that's a very good thing. I think that's a very good thing. And that's how we are going. And this is, this is the future. In the last reinvent, they said, they said serverless is the future. And I believe so, but maybe it happens in 15 years. No, it's not now. It's, it's mm. right now we are starting. Uh, there are so many things happening, but we're gonna, in the future, I, I guess, that's my own opinion, that I guess that we are gonna be very heavy serverless. And serverless and even, even more. We're gonna have a, 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 a startup who offers a SDK. So we are gonna be more like, uh, kind of a Stripe. You don't mm. care about what is over there. I just connect Stripe with my mm, platform. And then my own platform can be a conglomerate of other services. And that's it. So I, I think we are going to this kind of direction. Right now, we are reinvent the well a lot. It's still <laughs> a lot. But it, it is going to happen. Who knows? Who knows? But I think so. All right. So I'm going to link to the uh, Stack Overf- Overflow the Stack Overflow question, uh, lock mutex semaphore, what's the difference? So, because I think those are three words that you just threw out there. Uh, I think also, we've, we find, I think we're 20 minutes in, but we did finally get to it, which is, I think, the, the fundamental difference between all, between traditional architectures and serverless is that you don't manage the infrastructure at all with serverless. Mm-hmm. That's right. So you just, you you give functions you give uh to, you give fun- functions to the cloud and you don't know whether uh amazon is spinning up one container a hundred containers or a million containers you just know that amazon has responded to however many requests you've sent them yeah yeah, yeah. i i will say and i would like to, to make it clear that the kind of uh how we are billing in this process is completely different and and i think that's very very interesting from the marketing side because mm. uh it, it it make it easier for the developers and for the business people who are starting something so if you have few users you are gonna be built only for what you use so it's few but when you start growing you are paying more but it should mean that you are getting more money but uh, th- that concept I, th- I think is very interesting I, I still uh, don't know so much but the kind of billing how you are charged I think it's a very good um, strategy from the kind of marketing guys for making it more expensive even when it, when it, it is cheaper for you and it's best for them but they are earning more money with that so it's, it's um, wow that's, that's amazing I think that is Right. So, so it, it's in a sense, it's, it might be cheaper for you because you are literally like, uh, you are literally paying for exactly the amount of compute time that you're using. So instead of, you know, uh, so if you're, if you were buy if it's like 1999 and you're buying physical servers and you want to support a website that has a million users, maybe you've spent like $10 million on servers and then they just have to sit there all year long when you don't get any hits and then they're, they're just busy, busy on Christmas day or something. Um, then in more modern systems, maybe you scale up and down the number of uh, VMs, you scale up and down the number of EC2 instances that you use so that, you know, during the day, oh, well, we have a, 
a lot of users streaming Netflix at you know whatever time during the day. So they have a ton of VMs started up at that time of the day, but then they they shut down the VMs uh, you know at like 4 a.m. So there aren't that many running. And with serverless, you're literally using exactly the amount of compute time you need and no more. So in some as a business, it's better because you're not you don't you're not you don't have any excess you're not wasting any excess capacity um but is it still cheaper <laughs> it it yes. might it, it well but it could actually in some sense i mean first it's it's hard to know what the prices mean because it's it's hard to compare like it, it's easy to know how how much it costs to run like 20 virtual machines with these these specs for a month but it's very hard to know how many invocations, Lambda invocations, an application will have. Yes. One one thing I want to mention also mm-hmm. about talking about the billing is uh, if we have to decide if we want to use Docker or serverless, I think that one of the biggest things is are you your business strategy is like the guests or the users, are they paying? For the service or not? Because hmm. if you have something that is free, for example, that is you're giving free service for millions of users, maybe if you use something like Docker, okay, or just your own machines, uh, there is a limit, no? It's like you are paying this for the machines, and in the moment that you cannot handle more machi- more more requests or more petitions, CPU, whatever, you are gonna be just queue them or you are gonna give a timeout so just try later that's it you this is as you said this is what you are paying if you don't establish any kind of auto scale policy that's it you you pay that you can start a new one but you know the cost in the kind of serverless if they start making a distribution attack over the time and for example all night and they are making requests to your your platform Mm. because they want to to make hurt you somehow mm. uh you are gonna be you are gonna have a big bill <laughs> at the end of the <laughs> month we have to say that lambda for example is cheap okay and if you are if you mm. use api gateway you can enable some functions for caching so uh, the guys of amazon they are really really caring about the developer okay that they are not doing everything just to get money they get money but mm. they are preparing everything for be very easy i, I will ask you Maurice, if you yes. create a new company, would you start using serverless or Docker? Oh, uh, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you are not prepared. <laughs> uh, okay, no, I, I'm definitely the wrong person to ask. But uh, y- you've made a very convincing argument for serverless, and specifically, you know, with my own personal experience of trying to orchestrate Docker containers, um, that was a lot of time spent trying to just get containers running. Uh, where with serverless, you really don't have to think about it at all. Like if, if I want to simply run a, make a REST API and never worry about, um, never worry about infrastructure at all, serverless does seem like a good, a good option. Mm. I think, I think that, uh, maybe in the past you, you were using a very, first version of Docker, but right now you have ECS, so you can deploy containers without caring of the instances. Mm -hmm. He's going to create for you, and even you can use the uh, fleet spot instances, so so they are going to be very cheap. Uh, It's it's really good, okay? You can prepare something very nice. Uh, I think that the problem, as I said before, the serverless, maybe you need to learn 
a new concept, a new kind of uh, development. Mm. But but going inside what is the serverless framework, okay, talking about this, I love it. I love it. I I, I think that the last version they did an amazing job. They they really uh, understood what they needed. They understood the concept, and that's amazing. And why it's amazing? Let me say, uh, is because you only have one file. In one file that is called serverless.yml, you have everything. You don't have dependencies to anything else. If you don't want to use tomorrow the serverless framework, you stop immediately. That's over. You will use another platform. You can use them for, you create new plugins and you connect to your own uh, serverless uh, provider. So you don't have to worry at all. But but it's amazing to have one file and this is the full dependency. Well, that, that's amazing. Later, if you use uh, Amazon, you can use uh, CloudFormation to deploy everything, other other uh, dependency. You can set all the triggers. That's amazing. Uh, for example, they also, and I would like to mention that, is maybe in other chapter we can talk more about this, is that they divide your accounts or they force you to divide the accounts. They want that you will deploy um, in one AWS account for tests, mm-hmm. one AWS account for staging, and one for production. They don't really want you to do all of them in one place. So this is very interesting because we are saying that an employee, maybe he has access to two accounts, but not to production. So it's very difficult to, for them to do RM and remove everything, okay? <laughs> okay, so, so right now, uh, you know, the, fir- the first maybe 25 minutes of this podcast, we were actually talking about lowercase serverless. like lo- So lowercase serverless in a sense, and Amazon Lambdas. And now what we're talking about is the capital S serverless framework. Yes, l- let's say serverless framework. Because okay. m- sometimes the capital is something that when you are writing the GitHub repo, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so tell me more about the ser- the serverless framework. Like, what 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 is it? Like, why 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 do we not just use Amazon Lambdas directly? Well, because at the end, uh, it it make you easier easier to to have all the services. It, it let you, for example, uh, set all the triggers between the functions. It, everything. I mean, what serverless framework make you easier is to make everything automatic through code. You can write this file, as I said, serverless.gml. From this file, you can load other files, so you don't have to have everything uh, for millions of lines in one file, but you can split in different files. And with a very simple uh, syntax and semantics, that is GML, you can define everything you need. BPCs, you can define variables, you can set the environment variables, that they are different, okay? The variables is the custom variables that they have. Uh, you can set that you you allow only the framework from the version 1 to the version 2. You can you can do everything just through code. In your mm. own project, um, you can have this file and with with the client, okay, that's important. You need two, two components, okay, for the serverless framework. You need to install globally uh, the serverless, that is the, the own tool, and then you need this file. That is, if we say like a circle CI GML, no, that is telling you the instructions. So when you execute a serverless deploy, he's going to find this file and he's going to follow the instruction that you gave, no? With all the variables and all this stuff. You can say, you can, you can, um, establish that 
every function is independent, or you can say that every function is related with the global mm. variables. That's very interesting because uh, this serverless framework, it I think that it makes you to work by project. So when you are doing something like uh, uh, image process uh, project, you can have everything in one place. So you share the code, okay? Um, what else can we say about the serverless framework? Uh, so, I mean, I listened to this uh, podcast yeah. on software engineering daily with Austin Collins, who's the founder of the framework. So we'll definitely link to that podcast. And mm-hmm. I think the way the way he sort of described it was, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you're setting up Lambda functions one by one, at some point, you end up with so many Lambda, like you end up with this giant pile of functions. Like y- if you're writing a full, if you're trying to replace a monolithic application with a series of Lambda functions, you could end up with a large number of functions that uh, repeat lots of code within the functions. And what the serverless framework is trying to do is it's trying to try, trying to give you a structure for architecting an application using mm-hmm. things like Lambda. Does that sound right? Yeah, in some way, I, I think I, I don't agree completely. Because uh, if you go to the to the functions, you're gonna realize that there are million of functions, and as I mm-hmm. said, right now they are not reusing the alias. So what is happening is for every function, for every stage, they have one function. So if you are sharing mm-hmm. all your accounts, you're gonna have huge amount of functions over there. So I don't think that they are solving the problem about oh don't use so many functions. Okay? Mm-hmm. We are saying that uh, because every function he needs to pre-start, so it means to he needs to reload everything into memory, it takes more time to, to execute the first the first function. The next time is going to be pre-cache. Okay? Uh, so I think that... Um, how can I say... Uh, well, well what, do you, what do you see... like? Like for you, what makes you so ex- so excited about the serverless architecture? Like, what do you think is the most the the best part of the serverless framework? Mm, I I think as I was saying, uh, you don't really want to look Amazon. You don't want to look at the dashboard. You want to have in one place all your code, and in the moment that you deploy, this kind of serverless is going to be the interface. You don't even need to go to the dashboard to look at the graphs. You can do SL, S, uh, serverless stats or info and you can see what is happening. You can get the logs from CloudWatch to get the information. You don't need to go there and see that you have 1,000 functions. You have in your code mm. and the code is being split in several f- files and you organize as you want, okay? And if you use API Gateway, as I said, they, they with the serverless framework, they are very together. Uh, what is the best or what I like of this framework? I really hate the framework in the first version <laughs> because, yeah, it, they change so many times. Right now, I think they are more stable. But right now, I think that they they have understand. And maybe it's not this point that you are mentioning about, oh, we don't have so many. Lambda. No, we have so many. That's uh, They have. But that's that that's happened. That That's not going to be a void. They are just making this easier, and this easier through code. And code that, mm. as as they are using, they were using previously JSON, and now they mm. are using GML. And believe me, when the users are using GML, uh, you feel that it's, it's easier to read. 
This is YAML, Y-A-M-L. That's it. And Amazon, it makes you easier to use now YAML. Uh, before they had everything with JSON, right now you can do GML and you can use some alias for some functions to, for example, refer uh, attribute of something. In cloud formation, it's being used quite now. Uh, so I think that we are using serverless framework because one, we decide to use for some microservices some lambdas, okay? That's very interesting. That's, that's, as I said, if you create uh, every microservices one project, that fits very well. Mm. And the second is that you, you don't really want to handle this um, directly. You, you want to use something that help you. And as you said, it just creates the structure for you. That, that I, I think that that's quite in, enough. No, L- later you you are when you are learning about the billing, about how how the the kind of power it led you to have these uh, kind of resources. That is the cloud formation. At, after all, with cloud formation, you can deploy everything you want. You 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 can deploy uh, SQS. You every service that you can you have available in 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 Amazon, you can deploy with the serverless framework. Mm. You can do that. So it's not only Lambda. And now, now it's, it's amazing. They create another service that is called Step Functions. And this service, it fits very well with the Lambda. It is the same like mm. a single workflow something, uh, SWF, okay? And this service before, it you needed to create so many, uh, you, you need a lot of workers, and as a EC2 instance. Right now with the stem functions, you only need to uh, create a JSON file and this JSON file is going to make the flow of your business. For example, the first step is uh, to download this file from wherever. So you call this step functions, he called to a Lambda and he waits until you get the result of the Lambda. And when he re- gets the result of the Lambda, he continues. But if there is an error, you can handle the error. If you get a result, you can do a choice for select which uh, which path do you want to follow. So you have like a tree or like a graph. You have a graph of the different process that you have your own application. And you can write everything mm. with JSON. So it's very similar to what we are having with the serverless framework, no? all, all of these. You can write code and this code is going to be translated into services of Amazon. And there is a moment that... Well, uh, do you remember, and, and uh, I love this topic, um, mm-hmm. before we had the sysadmin. This guy, he was looking at some statistics. And now we have the guy who is the DevOps. And what did this change? Because the DevOps is a guy who is a programmer. And he's programming the code for making everything automatically. You don't need to wait and look at the st- statistics, graphs, whatever. You just need to... Uh, make the code that if there is a problem, please send me an alert, send me an, an, a message into a Slack, mm. into my phone, into wherever you want, that I'm going to notice and say, okay, now I have to do something manual. I need to fix, and the first thing I am going to do is, one, create a test, and second, make it, well, fix it, of course, and make it automatic. And the next time it happens, you have something. It's being out of handle, whatever. So the, this kind of weird changing that is in the same, in parallel, what I said before about a commodity, uh, this is what mm. is happening in the kind of uh, computers. Right, right. So that there's less operations and less administration, and it's much more, and, mu- and if, well, 
I mean, what computers are good at ultimately automation? You can pay a very, very cheap price for having a lot of things that before it was so expensive. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, microsurface uh, architecture patterns for Lambda. So, uh, so how do you, I mean, so step functions are one Amazon service for dealing with business logic where for, for tying together, for example, a bunch of different Amazon services, including lambdas. So you, as, as you described, you can have a step function that starts with a file, sends it to mm. a lambda, the lambda does something based on the results of that, then the step function decides what to do. Mm-hmm. How, how, are we, how do we architect large, I mean, how do we architect larger applications with many different functions on top of something like the serverless architecture? Well, that that's a very difficult question because at the end, as I said, always is the purpose, the requirements. Uh, I I don't even have a, a, a response. No, I think that these tools <laughs> it helps. No, but but that that's the true. In the moment that you start doing a project that is huge project, you have to split. You have to split the project, and uh, I I think in this guy Martin. Fowler, mm-hmm. he 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 talking about the monolithic architecture. He he tell you that you have to be very careful. Don't pre-optimize your your platform. If you start with a small mm. company and you you have a kind of limited bucket, maybe it's interesting to start with something like Ruby and Rails. You start growing, and in the moment that you have more people, you notice what the people they are asking. What is the kind of service that they you are using? You want to have a public API. It's in that moment that you have to start extracting this kind of monolithic and huge app into different microservices. You, you have to be careful, okay? If you are a bank and you have a main for, a mainframe that is huge, that's a, that's a huge problem. You have to migrate this somehow that is, is not, sometimes you don't even know, okay? But, uh, that's because they start from so many years ago and they have a mm. lot of, uh, depth, a lot of depth, okay? Um, technical depth. Uh, but other companies like Facebook, they don't have these problems and they handle more, more data than some banks, okay? So, uh, I, I think when we're talking about this kind of big, big platforms, uh, I don't have the solution. Even, even talk that, oh, I have, or for example, you start a new project and you say, oh, I want to do everything with functions, with everything we are talking mm-hmm. about, serverless framework, framework. I think you have to be very careful. I think you have to be careful and you, I, I recommend that you should have a little bit of experience working with this because right now I, I have been working with serverless for a while and, and I know the kind of problems that they expect. And this, well, when you are writing the code, you, 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 you are already thinking about this. And you know, not only, well, I, I, I am a collaborator, a collaborator of the serverless framework. <laughs> it means that I, I know a little bit the code. Okay. I, I have yes, read the you, code. You made some uh, spelling corrections in the, uh, reading <laughs> file, I think. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of things, but I, I have been really reading them, the internal things. They, mm-hmm. they rewrote completely the code. They were, they were using the last version of, um, Node yes for for making everything more readable and more uh, um, for maintain the code. So uh, going back to the question, okay, uh, how do you do a big big thing? Maybe you can start no working with um, some microservice and this microservice is just a serverless framework thing. And but yeah, I, I recommend to do everything in progression at, at mm. least right now. It, it, maybe fifteen years later. 
everybody is using this kind of uh, serverless structure they don't have even sysops or they don't they have only a sdk that they print all the statistics for you and that's over so yeah i i cannot tell you because maybe you are using something that you need a graph database and mm. this doesn't fit with the with the functions because I don't know there is sometimes that you make a request that is more than five minutes no and right now there are some the implementation not has this limitation so uh, I think it depends it, it depends you, you have to know a lot about a lot of things and the more experience you have the better it's gonna be yeah I don't have a I don't have a response I don't have the silver the silver ballot yeah yeah um. As you were describing that, I was just thinking of, you know, sometimes like people who are new to programming or new to programming on servers are kind of overwhelmed with how many technologies there are and just trying to figure out like what is the best technology, like what is the best framework, what is the best everything. And that's, there's really there's really no answer to that because, uh, of course, it depends on what your skill level and where you uh, and what you're trying to accomplish. But I was thinking actually, you know, you in some senses, it's if you have like a monolithic Ruby on Rails app that you've already developed. Sometimes, once you've had one, if like if you're starting as a programmer without a lot of experience, I would still say go to go to Ruby and Ruby on Rails as a way to learn about what this what a server side architecture can look like. Then once it once you understand that, it, it you know maybe maybe you're just an individual and maybe you can build everything that you want on that. But if you do get big, it's very easy to break up a Ruby on Rails application from a monolithic application into a bunch of microservices once you understand what the monolithic application you're trying to create is. Does that mm. sound reasonable to you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's reasonable. I, I have a couple things to say. One is that um, we are talking about Ruby on Rails, but you can choose another kind of framework that helps you to to write all this this and and I think that it's important when you start using this kind of framework to to try to discover what is happening inside because mm. that's the important thing we have for example in python if i remember correctly this is called tornado that is give you like a framework like uh, node.js so mm -hmm. you have in python Okay, in Python, you have the same that you have in Node.js. I think that we don't have, or for example, you can use Laravel, that is for PHP. There are so many frameworks that they are enterprise level, or you can use Phoenix, Elixir, with Elixir. Uh, you, you, I, I don't mean about the tool, no? I mean that when mm. you start with one of them, try to read a lot what is happening in the internal, no? All of these frameworks, they have very, very talented people, and they, they have documentation. So what I recommend is that Try to uh, understand very well the framework before I start writing the code, because later you discover some many disappointing problems, and you are gonna later. You, this is gonna happen, okay? So you are not gonna avoid that process. So mm. uh, just have the error and okay, how can I solve it? But I think that the most important is, or I recommend, no, that to start using one of them. And yeah, maybe maybe what you mentioned, the second point is that you are talking about business and you are mixing with technology, okay? And I think that mm. that's, that's different. Uh, if, if the business side, they are a startup and they don't know what they are selling or where they go, that's very common, but this is a business problem. 
if you mm-hmm. are writing a code and you want to do this, you can write in every language you want. What you have to care is about the design, the architecture. What is happening? Who is making a call? Where? How? For example, and it's also well, that's the the main goal is you want to write your code for being able to modify later to extend mm. to and and you, you don't want you want to be able to change some parts and don't have to modify everything no that that's the purpose of all the kind of coding okay you want to make it individual parts and the problem is sometimes you get like how can I say tired? Tired of uh, <laughs> writing so many uh, helpers, not helpers, okay? But the, I, we don't have to write helpers, but uh, we have to split, no, everything. And when you split everything so many times, you then you write the test, and and the business side they ask you for changing everything again, and you have to modify the test. Okay, this is gonna be very stable. That's nice. That's how you have to write the code, but. If the business side is telling you every three days to change everything, believe me, you don't want to write the test <laughs> because you are going to have to change everything. And, and then they have, no, they don't have, they, they are going to impose your, um, your deadline. So you, you don't want to work like this. You want to mm-hmm. say, okay, guys, please research what you want. And this project is going to, uh, you, you are going to say the estimation of time. You are going to say to them, hey, please, uh, this is going to take um, three months plus one month of QA, for example, and then we're mm. going to release four months. So your decision is worth one million, for example. The architecture mm. is going to be uh, $100,000, okay, for example. Mm. And the implementation is going to be 10000 So with this in mind, that every step, in the business side is going to be expensive you have to be very careful when you take a decision okay, say that again go so so yeah. what, the decision is a million dollars yes yes I, I i mean you have to see this like a tree as an inverse tree that mm-hmm. means that when you take a decision if you take a bad decision this is going to cost like like uh, this is an example like 1 million dollars mm-hmm. if you decide a wrong architecture, a wrong design, the overall, the big picture of your technical side, this is going to cost $100,000, okay? Mm. So it's like one magnitude less. And then if you make uh, implementation detail that is not worth and you have to change, this is going to be $10,000, okay? So Mm. I am talking about this is another level of uh, kind of uh, money that you have to pay for that. So one mistake in the decision is going to be terrible for a company. One mistake mm. in the kind of uh, implementation of one library, that's fine. You can change the library, that's right. all. In the moment that you have tools like New Relic, you can s- check uh, all the um, kind of flows, where is the transactions, the database, you can check ev- everything so you can improve that function. There is always a low that is like 80%, well, sorry, the 20% of the code is taking the 80% of the time. So you mm. just have to discover that and make this more performance, okay? That, that That's the idea. So when you were saying like, oh, but if they make you change, well, maybe maybe we have to talk about the, the business side, but let's mm. go again to the technical side. All right, so... Uh, I think we should start wrapping up, but uh, um, what about uh, communities? 
uh-huh. uh, I see you have something in the notes about which community is better, uh, yeah. Docker, uh, serverless. What, what do you mean here? Yeah, well, it, as I said before, I, I have been a contributor in in not Docker. Okay, these guys they use Go, and I still don't know very well Go. I, I have been reading the code, so I knew a little bit. I I have been following the issues, and I, I know a little bit about uh, as as I said. Well, I I have been also following the newspaper that you can subscribe. It's amazing. They they select. Uh, the the Docker newsletter. Yes, yes, the Docker newsletter. Uh, that's amazing. They tell you about the last um kind of tools, for example, for the UI, how you can deploy with Swarm, with Docker Compose, how you can do, for example, one Go application uh in one Docker container. So that's very easy to mm. deploy, and oh, it, it's amazing. Okay, so I I know a little bit about the the kind of GitHub the issues. I don't know more than this, but I have read, for example, the forums of the serverless framework mm-hmm. and the issues, all of this. And I think from my point of view, okay, an international kind of feeling, okay, because I think that we should talk more about the international <laughs> okay. to make this more what happens in every country. So I, I have the feeling they, they are different. It's not better. They don't have better community. It's just they are different approaches, okay? Both of them they have the same, okay? They they are this. Uh, I mean, they use the same tactics, but I think that, for example, Docker, they they got investment. They got a, they got a huge investment. I think that mm-hmm. one billion. I don't remember, or maybe it was worth one million. But they have a lot of money behind, and these guys, they they took several guys from. Um, from big companies and these guys they are amazing mm. and uh, I know personally uh, about the security side they got mm-hmm. some guys that um, they really worry about they they, they prepare uh, a lot of things well a lot of features that they are related with the security so I will say that Docker they really care about getting um, stars okay they also care about a lot of the image for example they I, I don't want to be like um Partial, okay. I I want to be very impartial, but I think that it matters, okay. Talking about the 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 marketing side, but it's like okay, that's that's the appearance. But I I think that this happened more in Docker. They go to this way of thing, so they go very nice guys. Well, amazing people, smart people, and it's it, it's very good. It's very good. And then serverless, I think that at least from my point of view, they really. They really care a lot about the community. The community gave a lot of feedback because this is so better. We, we, that's why I'm a contributor because even mm. I did very few, I am least over there, no? And I have mentioned like, oh, thank you for this, no? And this, even this is stupid. And uh, they, I love how they manage because they, they thank you all the time. And to so many people, they really? don't even, they, they didn't care about to give credits to, to you because you give only one, one line. But, Every time you push something, you make a pull request, they restrict what you what they want. So you must to have tests, you have to uh, be sure that you don't break nothing, you explain everything you did, you have mm-hmm. some some kind. So I think that the policy for that is very, very strict. But it, it, it's, well, that right now what we have is an amazing product. It's going to be better with the time, but right now it's very stable because they, they solve all the problems that they had and they they didn't they they didn't um, how can i say release something before they were they were 
Right, or they knew that it was the right way to solve the problem. I remember the discussion with the environment variables. It was mm -hmm. terrible, okay? We, we They spent so many months just to decide how to do that. And at the end, what happened is that AWS Lambda, they mm -hmm. allowed to have environment variables, okay? So wow. they prefer to wait to a real solution. And believe me, right now the solution is very good. Uh, they prefer to wait until this than to create some kind of patch because they did, okay, with the version zero, with the version, the first release, with the beta, uh, they they did mistakes, but that was normal and, well, these guys of, uh, we have to mention that these guys of the serverless framework, they have been founded by Amazon, okay, so <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but um, but yeah, yeah, these guys, I, I, I like how they handle, but both of them, okay? I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I think that both platforms, they, they really, they really have very, very, very good people. In the Docker side, for example, I know that in the network, there were some issues with the network. It was failing mm -hmm. a lot in version 0.5. And I remember that the guys, well, at the end, they said, okay, off, let's rewrite everything and they start to write what is now the kind of Docker network and well, it, it's working now it's working now, so maybe maybe we need to wait a bit longer some years, mm. even some years to be this this thing like something like um, like main, no, a stream, a stream like it's not trending anymore. This is what you you start using, no. But I, I think, uh, and this is a topic we we talk about before. I think is is necessary if you are starting to to write code. You are a junior developer. I think it's it's very interesting if you start reading the history, no, of all of this because everything has has a meaning because something happened. They solve a problem. They, uh, so, uh, I mean, when I was listening to this interview yesterday with Austin Collins, he talked a little bit about trying to create a really good open source community. And yeah, that was sort yeah, of yeah. the, the pre 1.0 focus for serverless was definitely on creating community. And it sounds like based on your experience, they did a really good job of that. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. Really. Cool. Okay. Uh, any final thoughts? Any other things you want to, uh, that we haven't, haven't covered yet? No, no. I, I, I think, I think we have to be careful with this. I think that if you invest in serverless or even Docker, let's talk about, uh, I think that you must be careful because you know that you are going to spend time, uh, solving problems because mm. they're, they're still relatively young as frameworks. Yeah. That, that, that's it. That's it. I, I, but I, I, I really like it. I, I think that you should, at least even you don't use, you should read the kind of pages for serverless architecture for Martin Flower. Uh, for, mm. So I, I recommend that you at least know about a little bit, even you don't work in the DevOps mm, thing. It's the same that, for example, the guys in the, in the backend, they need to learn about the last technologies, a little bit about AngularJS, React. We, we need mm. to know what is the paradigm, but because in the moment that, for example, Facebook, they release something new like, uh, GraphML and, uh, the people in the front end, they want to start using because it's easier or whatever, mm. you need, you need to, to adapt, to 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 give them what they want. Also, we are not working alone. We are a team, and mm. if something is changing very fast, you have to be up to that. No, so right now this about serverless is something that is hidden, 
but maybe it's not so high then as we think about. If you use API Gateway, maybe it's faster, but believe me, a Lambda is going to take um, between 100 milliseconds and or, or, or more, okay? And mm. Which is kind of slow. Yeah, yeah. It depends the the, the settings that you, you, you prepare, so this is going to cost you more. And uh, Lambda, let's say that it's a bit slow, okay? It's not going to be so fast as you can prepare in a container architecture, okay? Or a normal, what we understand as normal right now, or trending, or, mm-hmm. or what is the mainstream, no? Mainstream. So, uh, I, I, I think, I think so. Yeah. Let, let's see what happens. Yeah. And, and so, a, yeah, a little bit of that is like, uh, it's like container startup, like the, the cold start cost of mm-hmm. Lambda. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about this? <laughs> uh, I, mean, I I think that that's a whole other topic of how to actually how I mean because in in theory you do have all these uh, lambdas running and you don't actually ever have to worry about. I mean the theory is that you never have to worry about whether how many containers are running, et cetera, et cetera. But in practice, there is a tiny and even if it's only like one hundred or two hundred milliseconds, there is a cold start cost on uh, serverless architectures. So you can't completely forget about the infrastructure, but you know perhaps the the benefits of mostly being able to forget about the infrastructure are worth it. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let me mention something just to finish this this topic. It's about how it works. Is that they have internally containers. So when you ask for a content for when you want to execute the lambda for the first time, what they do is that they start the container for you. So you have this start uh, called start, and in the moment that this is uh, on, they keep the container for thirty seconds. If in thirty seconds mm. you haven't do any other request, this is gonna be off. And they, that's it. Okay. If you make another request in this period of time, then they are going to reuse the same container that is the same lambda that is going to be executed again with everything in memory. So at the end, internally, uh, they are creating these containers. Don't, don't confuse. Okay. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know this, but uh, I don't think that they are using Docker. I think they have a custom solution. As I said before, this guy's Amazon from the start or not the start, okay, because the start is 20 years ago, but from some years ago, they are using Lambda and step functions internally. Mm. Okay, so everything that they use is using Lambda. So I think these guys, they have a custom uh, version, and this version, and I'm sure, is just copying memory. It's just, okay, please, I have this function, please copy the memory. Okay, I have mm. one gigabyte of memory. My function is uh, 100 megabytes, so it means that I can have... Uh, 10 functions at the same time. So I have one mm. of the functions, is one function that is a cron, and this cron is checking all the time what, what is active and inactive. And in the moment that you, you discover that there is one that is uh, more than this time, you remove from this memory and you copy the, the function from the memory mm. to that side. So what I mean, talking about this memory, is that it's very fast, it's very performance. Right, it's just just to copy in memory. That's it. All right. Well, if you have any questions or feedback, we probably will have a Twitter account next week, and you can always uh, at either me or Sergio directly. So, uh, great. Talk to you next week. Okay. See you. Bye bye.